Jesus came to this earth to establish a new kingdom. It was a spiritual revolution that promised happiness. The persons labeled blessed by Jesus represent a counterculture exhibiting values not typically welcomed by the people of the world at large. People didn't understand his kingdom. And 2,000 years later, people still don't get it. This shouldn't be a surprise to us. Paul reminds us that people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. The Beatitudes present a new set of ideals that focus on love and humility, not forcing our rights or angry demands. The Beatitudes echo the highest ideals of Jesus' teachings on spirituality and love. It's a revolution. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit does not mean lacking of the Holy Spirit or religious awareness. Jesus is talking about poverty as not only a physical condition, but also a spiritual one. In fact, the more self-aware a person is of his or her own spiritual poverty caused by the inborn human condition of the sinful nature, the more one is humbly aware that they are poor in spirit. The poor in spirit understand that they are in a state of poverty without Jesus Christ as Savior. Without Jesus Christ alive and active in one's soul, we remain in a completely impoverished spiritual state. Once a person declares Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of his or her life, Jesus sustains them through a daily renewing of their poor spirit. John 6.35 says that Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Well, good morning. Today we're starting a brand new series, as you can see, called The Beatitudes, The Jesus Revolution. Now, the Beatitudes is something that a lot of us have heard. You probably have memorized them at some point in your life as a child in Sunday school. A lot of people don't know what it is, what it means, but I'm going to tell you that uh, this sermon series is something I feel that the Lord impressed on my heart, that we need to go through that together as a church especially in these times of such unrest. It's time for us to understand what the kingdom of God is really all about. The Beatitudes are the, uh, are the first words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as we find it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. You've heard me ask you many, many times to read that. And I'm going to ask you to, again, uh, take time to read that. Someone once said that the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is the constitution of the kingdom of God. And the Beatitudes are, in fact, the preamble to the constitution. And by preamble, we mean an explanation. It helps us understand 
what Jesus is teaching throughout the uh, Sermon on the Mount. So what I want you to understand today is that the Beatitudes teach us the attitudes and the behaviors of real Christians. So when we talk about these Beatitudes, uh, for instance, the first one, which we'll talk about today, says, uh, God blesses those who mourn, or blessed are those who mourn, or blessed are those who are poor in spirit. We're, say- we're not saying that you will be blessed or you'll be made happy if you do these things. What Jesus is saying is that because you're doing these things, this is why you have the blessing of God upon you. And I'll explain more of that in just a few moments. But I want you to understand that the Beatitudes is not just something that anybody can take hold of and say, well, I'm going to start doing these things so I can get the blessing and the happiness of God. No, this is for people who are truly converted, people who are really born again. Now, Beatitude just simply means uh, uh, the things that, that, that bless us or the things that brings blessing, the things that, that bring us happiness or the thing that brings us riches. And by riches, of course, we're talking about primarily a spiritual vitality, a spiritual richness. I had somebody ask me, well, how do I know that I'm truly converted? And the, the simple answer to that is what Jesus tells us later on in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, by their fruit, you will know them. We, we know a person is converted. You know if, yourself if you're converted, if, if you profess Jesus Christ as Lord. We find that uh, later on in the, in the New Testament. We know that we're converted if, if our attitude lines up with the attitude of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, how do I know what that is? Well, again, you have to read the Gospels. You have to read and understand who Jesus Christ is. Remember, Jesus Christ is a revelation of God. He's the revelation of the mind of God. We know who God is and we know what God wants by knowing Jesus Christ. So how do I know I'm converted? Well, my attitude has changed. I don't have the attitudes of people who are unconverted. My belief system has changed. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe what Jesus teaches. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ died for my sins. I know I'm converted because of my behavior, because I am diligent in following Jesus Christ. And by the way, That's why at our church, we actually teach you how to follow Jesus. What do I do after I become a Christian? That's what you're going to learn at Cross Church. And this is what you'll hear me preaching about and speaking about on a regular basis. Because I want to help you. I want to help you live the life that Christ has called you to live. So these Beatitudes then are for people who are truly converted people whose lives have been transformed by the Spirit of God, people who are born again, born from above, people now who have set their hearts on following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Beatitudes teach us how to think. They teach us how to behave. They teach us to think and behave as people who belong to the kingdom of God. I want to read to you 
these Beatitudes. I'm reading to you from, uh, from the NLT, and uh, we're looking at the first uh, 12 verses, and here's what it says. One day, as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. I've been to the Mount of Beatitudes, as it's called. It overlooks the Sea of Galilee, and it's just a sort of a natural amphitheater, very easy for people to sit down, spread out, and Jesus would have been preaching probably close to the water as the people were before him, spread out in, like I say, this natural amphitheater. And there Jesus would have preached this sermon. That's why we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what we read about here. And so Jesus now gives, gives the preamble, the explanation of the constitution of the kingdom. And here's what he says. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of God is theirs. It means the same thing. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So that is the Beatitudes. It may sound a little different to your ear, those of you who have read the Bible for years, because it's in a modern version. So what we're going to do as we go through these Beatitudes, we're going to look at each Beatitude in, uh, in language that you would be familiar with, and then we're going to, we're going to compare it to the NLT. Uh, both both uh, together will help us get a, a clearer understanding and appreciation for each Beatitude. Now, when Taryn and I uh, discuss the graphics, because it's Taryn, that, that makes these graphics, we, we debate how we are going to best communicate the ideas and the message uh, in each series. So we knew that it had to be the Beatitudes, but, but Taryn always asked, what's the tagline going to be? And I thought it needed to be the Jesus Revolution. Taryn said, well, I'm, I'm concerned a little bit that maybe that word is overused. And I agree. It is overused. But here's the thing, and Taryn agreed with me uh, when, I, when I shared my thoughts on this. this. This moment in history when Jesus came teaching what he taught, doing what he did, this marked the biggest revolution in the history of the world. A revolution, in case you uh, may be wondering, is in fact a revolt against the system, a revolt against the government. 
Jesus Christ's teaching is a revolt against the teachings, the philosophies, the systems of this world. Jesus came to overcome this world, but not, not physically, not yet anyways, that day is coming, and based on what we're seeing happening around us, it could happen any time. No, Jesus first came to do a, a revolution in our hearts, to transform us, to change us. So if we're going to use the term revolution, if ever we're going to use the term revolution, it has to be attached to Jesus Christ and what he did uh, in, on, on this planet 2,000 years ago. It is a true revelation and a true revolution. Now, this revolution that Jesus uh, began, uh, it changed the hearts of everybody who came to hear him. Everybody that listened to him, they were touched and changed by him. They, they couldn't help following him. They couldn't help uh, running to him. They, they would go without food. They would walk for miles and miles or kilometers and kilometers because they didn't want to miss a word that he was saying. Why? Well, as the disciples said, because Jesus carried the words of life. Because Jesus is a source of life. They sensed it, they felt it, they saw it, they knew it. And everybody who comes to Christ will discover the same thing. Your life surrendered to Christ will be a revolution. A revolution in your own heart, in your family, in your marriage. Now, this revolution is is about putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Since the time of Christ, the numbers of Christians have grown around the world. Google says that 30% of the world calls themselves Christians. That's, what is that? 2.3 billion people. Now, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christian. We would call them cultural Christians. Uh, Christians, people who grew up in a Christian home or in a Christian tradition, and so therefore they're Christian. But what I want to be, I want you to be very clear about today is I'm talking about people who are truly converted, not just social Christians or cultural Christians or people who, you know, their parents were Christians, their grandparents were Christians, and so therefore they are Christians. No, I'm talking about people who are truly converted, people who've been born again, people who have had an experience with God. They've come to know him as their Lord and Savior. They put their faith in Christ. Now, these people who put their faith in Christ, they, uh, they will, ex- obviously, they'll experience the first death, which is what we all experience, but all Christians will be saved from the second death. And you can read about that in the book of Revelation. We call it hell. This is what, this is what Jesus saves us from. This is why we need a Savior, because God has declared that we will all perish. He declared it in Genesis chapter 2. This is why we need a Savior. Jesus came into this world to deliver us from sin, but to deliver us from an eternity without Christ, with uh, an eternity that we call hell. But it's more than that. We put our faith in Jesus for salvation, but we also put our faith in Jesus for life. And this is exactly the teachings of Christ. If, if you put your faith in him, Jesus says that, that you will have this new life, this eternal life, and this abundant life. This is what you need to understand. This Jesus revolution 
It's the beginning of a brand new kingdom on this earth. And, and the reason why so many Christians are confused about this is because they don't understand that this kingdom is, is actually a kingdom of people who are converted, who are born again. Christianity does not work, cannot work, for people who aren't born again. And so this is why I keep mentioning this week after week. It's not that I want to make you feel uneasy, but I do want you to think through your, your salvation. I want you to, to think it through and work it through, as the Apostle Paul says, with fear and trembling. This is not a joke. This is not a small thing. The church is not a club you belong to. What you belong to is the kingdom of God, the family of God, wherein Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So let us look then at this very first beatitude. And it says blessed. Now I'll explain to you that blessed means happy or, or uh, full of joy, and not the joy of this earth, but a joy that comes from heaven. Or rich, you could even say that. Rich are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the NLT, it says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So what's Jesus saying? Well, Jesus is addressing uh, what all of us want to know. Every human being wants to know, how can I be happy? How can I know true peace and joy and satisfaction in this world? Where, where can I get that? How can I, how can I be enriched in spirit, enrich in my mind, and be untouched by this world? Well, Jesus tells us how. He says, you need to join my revolution. You need to be a member of the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're gonna, we're gonna take this apart, but first of all, I want us to look at, at that phrase, the poor in spirit. These are the people who realize their need for God. Some churches have, sadly, very sadly, decided to remove words like hell from their vocabulary. You'll never hear the pastor preach about hell. You'll Never hear a pastor preach about sin. You'll never hear a pastor preach about sinners. They, they, they feel that it's distasteful and it might be offensive and it might hurt people's feelings. Uh, the, 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 the idea is that we don't want to hurt anybody's self-esteem. Well, folks, I gotta remind you, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not here to give you a psychology lesson. What I'm here to do is to teach you what Jesus said. Regardless of whether you agree with him or not, my job is to teach what Jesus said. Because remember, this is a, this is a new kingdom. This is a revolution. This, what Jesus is teaching goes against our natural understanding. You need to understand today that Jesus Christ is from God. And Paul reminds us that that the, the natural mind cannot receive spiritual truth. So what you need to do, if, if you're offended by anything I'm saying, is you need to utter a prayer to God and say, God, help me to understand this. Open my eyes so I can see this truth. This truth, Father, uh, in heaven that is offending me. Do that. And God will open your eyes to see the truth. 
So someone asked me last week, why do you keep reminding us that we are sinners? You seem to talk about that a lot. In answer to that, let me just share the words of the American inventor, Charles Keating. Here's what he said. He said, a problem well stated is a problem half solved. Let me say that again. A problem well stated is a problem half solved. Here's what I'm saying to you today. Our problem is that we're sinners. And saying that is a problem half solved. Now you understand what we need to do to deal with this sin. Our world is in chaos and it's nothing new. We see waves of this through the years. I'm 58 years old. I've seen waves of this almost in every decade every decade that I've been alive, and I remember those waves of horror and of, 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 of wickedness and racism and so on and so forth. This is what happens in this planet. Now, to pretend that somehow we can solve this on our own is, is a great delusion, and you need to understand that. We need to understand that the God of this world, who is Satan, he's blinding our eyes to the truth. And that's what the Bible says. He's blinded the eyes of those who are perishing. Who are those who are perishing? Everybody who's not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ. So the reason I keep reminding you that you are a sinner and that we are all sinners is because I need you to understand what your problem is. And when you understand your problem, then you know how to solve the problem. This world... This world is, is full of sin. Everybody who lives on this planet is full of sin. God declares in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. This is our problem. And you say, well, pastor, I'm born again. Does that mean I'm still a sinner? Yes, you are still a sinner. But the wonderful thing is that the difference between you and somebody who's not converted is that you are being sanctified. Because you put your faith in Jesus, you were justified, and now you are being sanctified. You're justified means that God has declared you innocent because of Christ, and now God has begun that work of purifying us. Some people don't believe that, but uh, I would like to invite you to show me scripture that says otherwise than what I am saying to you today. I... I just read of a 28-year-old South Korean pop star that died, and I was told that it was probably suicide. And you think about that. This man uh, is famous, not just in, in Korea, but throughout Asia. And uh, I, I know that many people, even here in North America, listen to this particular pop star. This pop star had wealth, prestige, fame, glory, Everybody knew who he, was, who he was. He was adored, loved by, by young boys and young girls, and here he is ending his life. You see, here's the problem. When you don't know Christ, then you don't know the answer to your problem, which is sin. We believe the lie of this world. We believe the lie of Satan who suggests to us that if we have wealth, if we have fame, fortune, adoration, then we'll be happy. But it has never worked. And any biography of any Hollywood uh, uh, actor or actress will confirm exactly what I'm saying. We see it in the headlines all the time. The royal family was featured in the, in the headlines 
In the 1990s and the early 2000s, one, one episode after another of sin and sorrow and pain. All that wealth, all that prestige did nothing to bring happiness to them. So what we need to understand is what our real problem is. And this is exactly what we discover here. Our problem is sin. And once we understand that, once we, under, once we realize our need for God, that is the beginning of real happiness and blessing in your life. You need to know that. Now, I don't want to belabor it, but I need to say a few more words about the fact that we are, are poor in spirit. We are impoverished spiritually. We, we, all of us know what it's like to say, I want to do better, I'm going to do better. You've made vows to God, you made vows to your, your accountability partner, to, to your husband, your wife, your children, I'm going to do better, and then you find yourself failing over and over again. That is the state of every human until we leave this planet. So what we need to understand is we need to understand how we are going to respond to this. How do we respond to the sin? How do we respond to this world with its war, its chaos, its hatred? Again, I have to remind you that Jesus is introducing a brand new culture. It's the culture of the kingdom of God. He's teaching us about his new kingdom. Jesus wants us to understand that this is a revolution because it goes against the cultures of this world. Don't fear and don't be anxious in these dark times. Obey Christ. Put your, get your eyes fixed on Jesus and you'll be fine. This is what Jesus tells us. Be not afraid. Poor spirit means that we realize that Jesus Christ is the answer. And it's for this reason we can rejoice. We can be happy even though everybody around us is terrified and fearful. When you, when you know that you belong to the kingdom of God, when you know the spirit of God is dwelling in you, when you know that, that Jesus Christ is blessing you because you belong to him, well, you have every reason to rejoice. On my own, I am morally and spiritually bankrupt until Jesus Christ comes into my life. I would call that a revolution. It's a revolt against this world. It's a revolt against the ideas and the philosophies and the teachings of this world. It's a revolt against Satan himself. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you put your hope in Christ, it's a game changer. Now, most people will point out uh, the sins of others. They'll see the faults of others. They'll bring the faults of others to their friends' attention. Some people, they get caught up in just, just slandering and, and talking about others behind their back. That's not what people in the kingdom of God do. What do the people of, uh, in the kingdom of God do? They're too busy concentrating on their relationship to God. They don't have time to worry about other people and what they're doing. And so what we do is we say, Jesus, it's me. It's me, oh God. I'm the one that needs your grace. I'm the one that needs your power, your forgiveness. It's me, oh God. I'm the one in spiritual poverty. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's me. I'm the one who is poor in spirit. I'm the one who realizes my need for Christ. 
The poor in spirit have no time to find fault in others. They only have time to come to the throne of God and ask for God's forgiveness and his grace through Jesus Christ. And the good news is that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That happens through Jesus Christ. And if you have experienced that, well, you're going to say, I am blessed. This is what the psalmist saw and, and wrote about in Psalm 32. Let me just read a few of those words. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Is that you? Day and night, God, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Hallelujah. That, my friends, is the gospel. That's the good news. That's what real happiness is. All your sin is washed away. And now you can come to the throne of God. You can fellowship with Almighty God because you have received the kingdom of God. You have inherited that glorious kingdom. And by the way, the kingdom of God is where God himself dwells. That's where he lives. And that, my friends, is why we're able to come to him with all of our prayer requests, our needs, and we can enjoy sweet fellowship with him. But first, you have to confess your sins. So there it is. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is something that you inherit after you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. We inherit the kingdom of God when we come to God in full surrender. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I've sinned. I can find no happiness. I'm empty. God, I come. I've, I surrender to you. I fall before you. I ask you, God, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Jesus gave us a parable to help us understand this. It's, a, it's the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe you remember that. A young man says to his father one day, his father who's very wealthy, he's got great holdings, great estate, servants. He says to his father, you know what? And I'm paraphrasing it a bit. I'm, I'm done living here. I'm sick of the farm. I'm sick of living here. I'm sick of being told what to do. I'm sick of the discipline and, the, and I'm sick of the routine. I, I want my inheritance and I, I want to get out of here. And so the father gave him his inheritance and away he went and things were going good. And he, lots of friends and uh, living high. And then one day there was a stock market crash or something like that. And economy, the economy fell apart. He had nothing, no money left. And all they could do was find a job feeding pigs. And there he was, this Jewish boy who, who was not allowed to, have anything to do with pigs, and there he is feeding them. In fact, he is jealous of what the pigs are eating. And the Bible says that when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, 
At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying in hunger. Wow. Impoverished, poor in spirit. Here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And of course, you know the story. He was not taken back as a hired servant. He was taken back as a son, given a ring, given a cloak. The fatted calf was, was cooked, and there was a mighty feast. He was brought to the kingdom of heaven. That's what God does for us. But you've got to come to the end of yourself. You've got to come to the place where you are the first one to admit and confess your sin. And folks, this is revolutionary. When this son comes to his father and says, God, I'm entrusting my happiness to you. He didn't trust his father before. He didn't realize how happy he was, how good it was. Not until he went away and then suddenly the lights came on. And he says, Father, I'm entrusting my happiness to you. I am going to do things your way. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do your will. Because now I understand, Dad, my happiness comes from you. My happiness comes from surrendering to you and doing things your way. We have to understand that we are by nature rebellious and sinful. This is what the prophet Jeremiah points out to us in Jeremiah 17.9. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is, the prophet says. Well, I can tell you who knows how bad it is, and it's God himself. And it's for this reason Jesus came to this earth to give us a new heart. He didn't come to renovate us. He came to give us a new life. And that's what Paul talks about, isn't it? He says that we, we are a new creation. But while we're here on earth, until we get to heaven, we need to be sanctified. We need God to continue to work in us so that we would become like Jesus. And by the way, that is why Jesus teaches us in his prayer, the Lord's prayer, to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We need to understand that this is part of our daily experience with God. This daily walk with God must include a prayer asking for God's forgiveness of our sin. And by the way, as we're asking God to forgive us of our sin, what are we doing? We are, we are forgiving others their sin. We are, we are coming before the Father and saying, Father, I forgive those who have sinned against me. God, put it under the blood of Jesus. We don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to think about it anymore. And Paul warns, if you don't do that, if you don't forgive people, if you remain angry, if you, re if you hold a grudge, then it gives Satan a foothold in your life. And I'm going to tell you, Satan will ravage your heart, your life, your mind, ravage your marriage, your family, and, and anything else that you're connected with. That's Paul's warning to you. So we forgive. And we forgive because we understand how much we are poor in spirit. We understand how much we are in need of God's grace. We understand how much we are sinners. If you can't confess that you are a sinner, if you can't admit that, then I got to say, you probably are not converted. 
because, because God's answer to us, this salvation we talk about, has at its very center a Savior. We have a Savior because we're sinners, because we are deserving of hell. You have to come to that place where you say, God, I am a sinner. And by the way, you need to be willing and prepared to tell anybody and everybody else that. Bring glory to God. Walk in humility before God and man. Confess that you need Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Every one of us, although we may not want to admit it, everybody knows the truth about everybody else. We're all sinners. We all need God's grace. And yet, why do we pretend? Why do we act the part? This is called being a hypocrite or an actor. God help us to refrain from acting. Here's what Jesus is saying here. You need to get in the habit of confessing your sin every day. And I'm going to tell you something that you will discover the joy of following Christ. You will, dis- you will discover the blessedness and the happiness because now you're free. Now you're set free. Every day, Jesus washes your heart clean. Every day, you experience fresh grace, fresh, fresh anointing, fresh enabling to walk the life that God has called you. I love what Paul says in Romans 4, 7, happy are those whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are pardoned. That's why I'm happy. It's not because I'm, I'm sin-free. It's because Jesus has washed away my sin. It's because I know that at the end of the day, I can go to bed knowing that if I should die before I wake, I know I will be with the Lord in heaven. I put my faith in Christ, and he's washed it all away. I understand. Alan Duncalf understands that he is poor in spirit, that, that Alan Duncalf realizes his need of Jesus. And that's why I'm a happy man. And that's why my wife is happy. Because we understand that about ourselves. Can you imagine if a whole world decided to put their faith in Christ? If they all of a sudden discovered that they're poor in spirit, that, that they realize their need of Jesus? What a different world this would be. Now suddenly, rather than attacking people, we would instead turn our eyes off of people and onto God and say, God, it's me. God, transform me. By the way, when that happens, we call that a revival. And that's what we need to pray for. But if it happened, could you imagine what would happen? It would be a true revelation and a true revolution, a revolt against the ways of this world. Remember, we're talking about a new kingdom. And if you're a Christian, you belong to that new kingdom. Well, I'm going to tell you, this is absolutely possible in the power of of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this is exactly why Jesus tells us to evangelize the world. This is God's will for this world, that this world would know Jesus. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all would come to eternal life. Jesus Christ, if you still haven't got this figured out, he's the only answer to the world's problems. He's the only answer to the races and the hatred and the chaos that threatens us daily. The poor in spirit enter the kingdom of heaven 
and they begin to enjoy a brand new culture. They begin to understand and function in new ways, doing new things. And what are these new ways and these new things? Well, they're the ways of Jesus. They're the things that Christ calls us to do, which we read about in the Sermon on the Mount. So, what are these people in the kingdom like? They're humble, they're repentant, they're aware of their sin, aware of their need of Jesus. Again, poor in spirit. They seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. They seek to love all people. And as John says, if you call yourself a Christian but hate your brother, you're a liar. Someone asked or, or thought maybe that there could be racism in the church. Well, if there is, it's certainly not sanctioned by the church because it is absolutely impossible to be a racist and to be a Christian. That's what Jesus says. Or that's what, what John says. If you call yourself a Christian, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. So this is what this church stands for. And I'm so excited through the course of the summer, we're going to be talking about this kingdom. Now let me just close with a reminder of what Jesus tells us. He says in John chapter 6, verse 35, and it's very important to understand this, so you know who Jesus is, and you know what he brings to us, his his followers. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Listen, the reason we come to Jesus, poor in spirit, realizing our need, impoverished, is because Jesus is the source of life. He alone has the bread of life. He alone has the living water that he gives to all who put their faith in him. And you will never thirst again. Wow, this is where real happiness comes from. It's counterintuitive. It goes against our natural mind. And this is why we call it a revolution. It's a spiritual revolution. It's a revolt against the ways of this world. Father, give us grace and strength to honor and to serve you. Help us to see that we are poor in spirit. Help us to realize our need of you. And God, we thank you in Jesus' name for the grace that you enabled us to confess our sins, to admit our need of you. Thank you for the happiness that comes to all who confess their need of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.